Thank you so much, Charles, for that introduction. That was so nice. Um, as Charles mentioned, my name is Allison, and I'm the assistant pastor here at the River. It's so wonderful to be back with you here, and this is my first time in this beautiful space, so I'm just loving it. Um, I look forward to catching up with all of you old friends and also to making new ones. Um, if we haven't met before, please uh, come say hello to me after the service. I would love to meet you. So we are currently in a sermon series titled Unexpected Jesus. We are looking at some of Jesus' surprising, unexpected teachings. Today, we are going to explore one of Jesus' parables from the book of Matthew. Before we dive in, let's get some context. So throughout the book of Matthew, Jesus kept talking about something called the kingdom of heaven, or the kingdom of God. Jesus repeatedly said, repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. Understandably, the disciples had a lot of questions about this kingdom. They wondered things like, who was this kingdom for? Who would be allowed in? Who would be considered the greatest in the kingdom? During their travels together, Jesus began to answer those questions. Through various teachings, Jesus painted a picture of a kingdom quite unlike any earthly kingdom the disciples were familiar with. Jesus said the kingdom of heaven was for people like the poor and poor in spirit, children and the childlike, those who are lowly or humble, those who are persecuted for the sake of righteousness, servants and slaves, tax collectors and prostitutes. What a collection of people, right? Not the types of people that most kingdoms would prioritize for inclusion. But this left the disciples with the questions they were perhaps the most concerned with. Questions like, what will be our place in the kingdom? We who have been with Jesus since the beginning, what will be our reward for our sacrifices and faithfulness? Our passage today is bookended with questions like this. Right before our passage begins, Peter says to Jesus, we have left everything to follow you. What then will there be for us? And shortly after, the mother of James and John petitions for her sons to have a special place of honor beside Jesus. So how does Jesus address the disciples' questions about the kingdom? and their ongoing efforts to jockey for status. He tells them this parable. For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. After agreeing with the laborers for a denarius for the day, he sent them into his vineyard. So the story begins with the landowner heading out to find some day workers for his vineyard. Many believe that this story took place during a time of job scarcity and economic insecurity. So for these workers, getting hired for the day, knowing that they could put food on the table, that would have been a huge relief. And a denarius was equal to a day's wage. So the landowner was offering these workers a fair deal, something that day laborers didn't always get. Uh, they were often offered work for a fraction of a denarius, and because competition was so fierce, they usually just had to take what they could get. 
So our landowner is already setting himself apart here by offering fair, perhaps even generous, payment. Another unusual thing about our landowner is that he was out at the marketplace hiring workers himself. Usually that would have been done by someone else working under him. But the story is about to get even stranger. Let's continue. When he went out about nine o'clock, he saw others standing idle in the marketplace and he said to them, you also go into the vineyard and I will pay you whatever is right. So they went. When he went out again about noon and about three o'clock, he did the same. And about five o'clock, he went out and found others standing around and he said to them, why are you standing here idle all day? They said to him, because no one has hired us. He said to them, you also go into the vineyard. After first going into the marketplace around 6 a.m., the landowner returned again at nine and again at noon, and again at three, and again at five, to hire more and more workers. How many workers did this landowner even need? Interestingly, the landowner didn't specify how much he was going to pay these workers hired later in the day. He just said, whatever is right. And that seemed to be enough information for the workers. Maybe they trusted his reputation, or maybe they were desperate for any chance to work, but that was enough for them to go off of. When evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his manager, call the laborers and give them their beginning with the last and then going to the first. When those hired about five o'clock came, each of them received a denarius. Now when the first came, they thought they would receive more but each of them also received a denarius. And when they received it, they grumbled against the landowners saying, these last worked only one hour and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the day and the scorching heat. Wow, isn't that interesting? The landowner paid all the workers the same wage regardless of how many hours they worked. Those who worked just one hour were made equal to those who worked all day under the scorching sun. And those workers who were hired first, boy, they were not happy. And I can understand where they were coming from. This arrangement doesn't seem fair. So how did the landowner respond to their complaints? But he replied to one of them, friend, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what belongs to you and go. I choose to give to this last the same as I give to you. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or are you envious because I am generous? So the last will be first and the first will be last. The landowner defended his right to manage his business as he saw fit. He pointed out that he was in fact honoring his word. They had agreed to a denarius and that's what he paid them. He accused the first batch of workers of being envious of his generosity for the later round of workers. And then Jesus ended the telling of the parable with this famous line, so the last will be first and the first will be last. I am so curious to know what the disciples thought when they heard this parable. 
I wonder if they identified with the first batch of workers and felt outraged on their behalf. Or perhaps they felt disappointed by the idea that their status as Jesus' first disciples might not result in preferable treatment in the kingdom of heaven. I wonder if this parable felt like good news to them. I don't know about you, but my first instinct when hearing this parable is to take the side of the first batch of workers. Their treatment of the landowner just doesn't seem fair to me. But perhaps your initial reaction is different. I know many people find fault with the first batch of workers for being envious and greedy. I'd love to hear your thoughts after the service today. Most concerning to me is the character of the landowner. If the landowner is supposed to represent God, then if I'm being completely honest, I'm not sure that I like this depiction of God. I would be far more comfortable if the landowner agreed to set an hourly rate and then paid the workers accordingly. That would seem more fair to me. Oftentimes, interpreters of this story resolve this tension by saying, well, God is God. God doesn't have to be fair. God can do whatever God wants. If God wants to be generous to some and more generous to others, then so be it. And then they stop there. This is certainly true, but I think we'll get further with this story if we dig deeper and ask, how is this depiction of God good news for us? Let me share a few of my thoughts about how this story is actually good news for the disciples and for us. To start, it is good news that in the kingdom of heaven, the landowner, God, is proactively generous. The landowner doesn't delegate finding workers to someone in his employ. He goes out to the marketplace himself. He finds day laborers who are desperate for work and provides them with what they need. He doesn't take advantage of their desperation by offering them the lowest wage possible, but instead offers a fair deal. And the landowner doesn't just go searching for workers once. He goes out again and again and again throughout the day. This is significant. This means that the landowner is not just trying to find the best workers, the ones who are the biggest or the strongest or the boldest. He picks from those who have been overlooked throughout the day. Anyone who wants to work is welcome to work. If God is like this landowner, then that means that God is actively reaching out to us again and again and again in our times of need. It means that even when we are overlooked by the world, we are seen, valued, and wanted by God. It means that we are invited to partner with God in God's work of spreading unconditional love. This is all good news. A second way that this story is good news for us is that it is good news that in the kingdom of heaven, blessings do not follow a simple formula. Now this point is a bit counterintuitive. I don't know about you, but oftentimes I wish that things in life did follow a clear formula, that they were more predictable and clean cut. Kate Bowler, author and professor at Duke Divinity School, puts it this way. 
We all want reasons. We want formulas to predict whether our hard work will pay off, whether our love and support will always make our partners happy and our kids love us. We want to live a, in a world in which not one ounce of our hard work or our pain or our deepest hopes will be for nothing. We want to live in a world in which nothing is lost. And we often want faith to work like this too. But it seems that this is not always how things work in life or in the kingdom of heaven. So how is this good news for us? In the parable, wages do not follow a simple formula. A day's work equals a denarius, but so does just one hour of work. Likewise, faith does not follow a simple formula. This means that more effort or righteousness on our part does not equate to more of God's love or favor or blessings in our lives. On the one hand, this may feel frustrating because it means that we are not in control. But this also means that we don't always have to maximize productivity and performance. Instead, we have room to rest and play and explore and even fail. In the kingdom of heaven, there may not be predictable hourly rates, but there is lavish, unearned generosity and unconditional love. In the kingdom of heaven, survival of the fittest is replaced by radical inclusion. In the kingdom of heaven, we are invited to let go of toxic individualism and instead join in partnership with God and other workers in the vineyard. In the kingdom of heaven, we have permission to let go of our constant need for control and instead allow ourselves to be present in the current moment. In the kingdom of heaven, we are invited to be interrupted and surprised by beauty and joy. The kingdom of heaven may not be fair. We may not get what we think we deserve, but the good news is that we get so much more. Finally, it is good news that in the kingdom of heaven, latecomers are welcome. So often in our world, we reward those who are first and ignore all who come after. The early bird gets the worm and all that. But in our story today, the first comers are not prioritized over the latecomers. In fact, by some measures, the first comers get the raw end of the deal. Jesus said, so the last will be first, and the first will be last. I believe that this teaching can free up room for exploration in our lives. How often do we hold ourselves back by telling ourselves that we are too late to the party? Or demean our accomplishments because they took longer to achieve than we had hoped? What if we were to allow ourselves to pursue dreams that feel too late? Or try experiences that we missed out on earlier in life? Or join bandwagons that have long since departed without any sense of judgment or shame? What new things might we explore if we weren't concerned with being the first or the best? What new discoveries might we make in our journeys of faith? So how do we take a step further into the kingdom of God? How can we experience more of this lavish, generous love that does not adhere to formulas? 
Kate Bowler, the author I quoted earlier, offers a piece of spiritual advice that I think we can benefit from as well. Drawing inspiration from a Wendell Berry poem, she suggests, every day, do something that won't compute. Let me say that again. Every day, do something that won't compute. Do something that doesn't make sense by the world's standards, but does make sense in the kingdom of heaven. Honor those the world dismisses. Love when it isn't advantageous. Rest even if your to-do list isn't finished. Make time for silliness and beauty and fun. The possibilities are endless. Um, as I invite the worship team up here, I'd like to tell you about an opportunity after the service today. Charles mentioned it earlier, um, but he will be hosting a uh, chat with Charles upstairs. It's a time to gather informally, talk about the sermon, talk about other questions of faith, get to know each other. Um, I'll be there as well. Um, we'd love if you would join us. Um, thank you so much. <laughs> 